Psalm 91 is a triumphant psalm. It is triumphant because it promises that God will guard and guide believers through spiritual warfare. We could say that Psalm 91 could be entitled Triumphant in Spiritual Warfare. Triumphant in Spiritual Warfare. This psalm does not promise that we will be free from the evils of this life, but it does promise that God will bring us through those evils. As well, it should be noted that the promises of Psalm 91 do not necessarily apply to all, but only to those who dwell in the secret place of the Most High and confess Him as their refuge and fortress. The author is David, and based on the mention of pestilence in the text, we can cross-reference this to 2 Samuel 24, 13-15. In that context, David had numbered the people against God's command. The result was that the Lord sent a pestilence upon Israel from the morning until the appointed time. Seventy thousand men of the people from Dan to Beersheba died as a result. But 2 Samuel 24.16 tells us that this pestilence was no ordinary disease. It states, when the angel stretched out his hand toward Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the calamity and said to the angel, or the pestilence, who destroyed the people, It is enough. Now relax your hand. So Psalm 91 is all about spiritual warfare. In verses 1 and 2, we see the state of the godly. The state of the godly. Verse 1 and 2 of Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Verse 1 answers the question, to whom does this psalm apply? The promise of victory, which is its theme, is for the individual, the believer, who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. It is for no one else. The titles of God here in verse 1, Most High and Almighty, are significant because they stress God's power as the sovereign ruler of the world. The verb to dwell, when it says he who dwells, means to remain, to stay, to tarry, to endure. It suggests a continuance and or permanence to one's dwelling. Jesus identified his disciples in John 6:56 as those who dwell in him, and those in John 8:31 who dwell or abide in his word. That is, we remain in him, we tarry with him, we endure with him or with his word. Above all else, they who dwell or abide in him as branches dwell or abide in the vine. John 15:7-8. Thus, abiding life, or dwelling in the sacred place of God, is to live and remain in Jesus. And this secret place is a covering, a hiding place, a shelter. This secret place is the intimacy of God's presence. It is our secure fellowship with Him. By dwelling or living in the surrender of unceasing worship and prayer, as 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, and 17 commands us, we will be like Moses who put, was put in the cleft of the rock and covered with God's hand while his glory passed by in Exodus 33:22, God's presence, in verse 1, leads to his protection. 
The person who dwells or abides in the secret place, the place of intimacy or fellowship with God, will abide or lodge under the shadow of the Almighty. This metaphor is common in the Psalms and depicts a mother hen who gathers her chicks under her wings. As David prayed in Psalm 17, 8 and 9, Hide me under the shadow of your wings from the wicked who oppress me. In response to God's promise in verse 1, the psalmist now gives his confession in verse 2. He will say to Yahweh, He is my refuge and my fortress. We have military imagery here. God is his defensive position against his enemies. Moreover, he is personal. He is my God. And the psalmist concludes, in him I will trust. That word trust there means to feel secure, to be unconcerned. So the theme of this psalm is now clearly established. God will give complete security, victory, triumph to the believer who dwells or abides in him and places his confidence in him. Now let's look at verses 3 down to verse 8. Verse 3 to verse 8. And we will see the safety of the godly. The safety of the godly. Verse 3. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. There's that word pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, that's wings, and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and bulwark. You will not be afraid of the terror by night, or of the arrows that fly by day, of the pestilence that stalks in darkness, or of the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. You will only look on with your eyes, and see the recompense of the wicked. Beginning with verse 3, we have an exposition of what God will do for us who are dwelling in Him. When we dwell in Him, we will experience suffering. We will experience evil. We will battle spiritual forces. We will have spiritual battles. But we will also know divine protection and deliverance. Verse 3, David asserts, for it is he who delivers, literally snatches us or tears us away from those spiritual enemies. From, uh, he's going to snatch us or tear us away from the snare of the trapper, literally the trap or net of the trapper. So the person dwelling in God will never be a caged bird or a caged animal. Furthermore, God will deliver him from the deadly pestilence. And again, there's that word pestilence referring back to 2 Samuel uh, chapter uh, 24 and the uh, 70,000 that died. Of course, that references here to the, to the tens of thousands that were dying around David. On the surface... The psalmist seems to be describing deliverance from human adversity. But when we look at verses 5 and 6, it becomes very clear that there is a much darker enemy in mind. The trapper and this deadly pestilence are demonic agents of spiritual and physical assault. Remember, Paul warned believers about falling into the reproach and the what? 
snare of the devil, 1 Timothy 3.7. And behind much disease stands supernatural evil. Think of the book of Job. All the diseases that afflicted Job were supernatural in nature. That's not to say that every disease is supernatural in nature. Okay, we don't want to leave Psalm 91 and people thinking, I don't need a doctor or I don't need medicine. That's just nonsense and foolishness. Uh, especially when you consider Isaiah, and I believe it was King Hezekiah who had an illness, and Isaiah, by way of God, told him, go to see a doctor. Okay? So this is not a prescription against going to a doctor or getting medical treatment. Uh, what David's acknowledging here is that there are some things that afflict us that are that cannot be fixed by medicine or cannot be treated by a doctor because they are spiritual in nature. They're attacks from uh, the forces of evil, those uh, evils that uh, Paul talks about uh, in high places. In Luke chapter 13 and verse 16, remember Jesus healed a woman whom Satan had bound for 18 years. She had some physical affliction, and it was clear that her affliction could not be treated with medicine because why? It was, it was demonic or supernatural in nature. In the midst of verse 4, the metaphor shifts back to military equipment. The person dwelling in God's secret place, his intimate fellowship, is going to have his truth or faithfulness as a shield and bulwark. The shield here is a large uh, object which protects the whole body. Whereas the word bulwark, appearing only here in the Old Testament, describes a small round shield. We have two pieces of armor that illustrate full and double protection offered by God's truth. And when we come to the New Testament, uh, we see that truth is a weapon against the devil. Paul instructed us to wear the whole armor of God. Uh, which includes the truth of the gospel in several aspects. Why? That you may be able to stand against the wiles, the attacks of the devil. Ephesians 6.11 Now the result of this protection are sketched in verses 5 and 6. The person dwelling in God's secret place will not be afraid of the terror by night. This can refer to a surprise military attack, but it's indicating demonic assaults. Okay? We, if we're dwelling in God's secret place, if we're in intimate fellowship with God, we do not need to fear demonic assault. Furthermore, when we're dwelling in God's secret place, we don't need to fear the arrows that fly by day. Again, this is a metaphor for demonic assault. Ephesians 6.16, the fiery darts, the fiery arrows of the devil. Listen, the devil's going to, and his, and his forces of evil, those demonic forces, are going to constantly come at us and against us both day and night. But if we're dwelling in intimate fellowship with God, we do not need to fear those things. Now, is it possible that a believer could not be in intimate fellowship with God? And the answer is yes. When we sin, fellowship with God is broken. We don't lose our salvation. But our fellowship, our intimacy with God is broken. We're not abiding. We're not dwelling in Him when we're sinning. So again, not every believer can claim the promises of Psalm 91. If you're listening to this message and you're examining your life and you're saying, well, you know what, I'm, I'm living a life of sin, my fellowship with, with, with God is broken, then you cannot claim these promises. So, you know, we all need to be examining ourselves, okay? The, the enemy is going to assault us. Make no doubt about that. 
Cleanse yourself, the Bible says. Confess your sins, 1 John 1, 9. And He's faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. We need to constantly be examining ourselves and invoking uh, forgiveness from God through repentance and confession of sin to Him. Lest that fellowship be broken. As long as we have fellowship with Him, we do not need to fear the terror by night or the arrows that fly by day. In verse 6, we don't need to fear the pestilence that walks in darkness. And here, in contrast to verse 3, we have a qualification upon this pestilence. It stalks at night. And again, it has a demonic character uh, to it. And then it says that, uh, that those who dwell in the intimate, intimate fellowship with God will be free from the destruction that lay waste at noonday. Again, these are spiritual assaults that come upon us in broad daylight. From all of this demonic activity, the one, the believer, if you are dwelling in the secret place of the Most High, you are going to be protected. Again, that doesn't mean the devil isn't going to try to attack, but you will be protected. The promise of God's care is expressed very physically in verses 7 and 8. While vast numbers of people are falling all around, a thousand at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, it shall not come near to you. The protected person walks through these demonic battles untouched. And, you know, it gives us a sense that uh, when, when God confronted David about disobedience to God, David immediately repented and was immediately restored to fellowship with God. Once again, David was back in the intimate place with God. But God said, judgment's going to come. And he gave David three options. And David chose the option of this pestilence, this um, agent of evil, if you will, that wiped out 70,000 men from Dan to Beersheba. And we have to wonder, based on this text, that this were the 70,000 pre-selected because they were wicked. Were they pre-selected because they were not dwelling in the secret place of God? There was sin in their life that they weren't confessing and forsaking. Much to consider, much for us to think about as we consider our own lives to make sure that we have confessed our sins, that we are daily in right fellowship with God. The protected person can walk through these demonic battles untouched and will also see the wicked get their just reward, verse 8. Again, that leads me to think that those 70,000 were lawbreakers. In the New Testament, Jesus in the early church saw God's power overcoming the works of Satan. Demons were cast out as the authority of God's kingdom was manifest. When the 70 disciples returned to Jesus from their mission, they reported, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he responded, Luke 10, 17, and 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Satan is not more powerful than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 9 and 10, we have the sanctuary of the godly. For you have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. The foundation for victory is laid in verse 9, which repeats the promise and confession of verses 1 and 2. You have made the Lord my refuge, my hiding place, even the Most High, your dwelling place, your sanctuary. 
The protected person, the believer who is in intimate fellowship with God, prospers because the Lord is his refuge and the Most High is his dwelling place. Literally, you are living in God's presence and no evil will befall you. Moreover, no plague will come near your tent, your dwelling. By dwelling in the Lord, being armed with his truth, we cannot be touched by Satan or his minions of evil. He cannot penetrate that secret place near to God's heart. He cannot gain an advantage over those of us who are held in Jesus' hand. Verse 11 to 13, the security of the godly, the security of the godly. For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways that will bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and cobra, the young lion and the serpent you will trample down. This was the very scripture that Satan tried to distort when he tempted Christ. To be under the God's shadow or to be covered with his feathers means that he has provided us with angelic aid. He sends his supernatural messengers to have charge over us. Again, this illustrates the fact that this is spiritual warfare. If fallen angels are coming after us to attack us, God has dispatched holy angels to guard us and protect us, to preserve us in all our ways. These angels are those chariots of fire filling the mountains around Elisha who protected him from his enemies in 2 Kings 6.17. The angelic care that God provides is complete. They bear us up. They protect us in their hands so that we will not even dash our foot against a stone. Moreover, we can experience victory over these evil ones. He will literally, they will tread upon the lion and the cobra, which is parallel to the young lion and the serpent. We all know who the snake, who the serpent is in Scripture, none other than the devil, who goeth about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. As Paul promises in Romans 16:20, the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. You know, it's interesting, as I mentioned, these are the very same verses that the devil took and used to tempt Jesus. And it's ironic because it's these very same verses that promise complete protection from the malignant, supernatural evil called Satan. At the same time, that Jesus refuted that temptation and walked through untouched proves the promises of verses 3 and 4 for deliverance and protection are true. Finally, let's look at verses 14 to 16 and see the salvation of the godly. Because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With a long life I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. God speaks from his secret place in verse 14. The person who dwells there loves him, literally has his love set upon him. He'll deliver him. He'll cause him to escape the enemy. God will be faithful. No demonic presence can stand before God. And moreover, the Lord will set him on high, that is, exalt him, because he has known his name. That is, he has an intimate relationship with God. Out of this intimacy, we will experience a vital, we will experience vital, a vital prayer life. Notice he says, he will call upon me and I will answer him. If you're dwelling in the secret place of God, if you're in intimate fellowship with God, believer, you can call upon him and know that he will answer you. 
Jesus said to his disciples, If you abide in me or dwell in me, and my words dwell in you, you will ask what, your desi- what you desire, and it will be done for you. John fifteen seven. God will grant his presence and protection. I will be with him in troubles. I will deliver him. And he will honor him with long life. That's a life of blessing. The word long here doesn't necessarily mean length of days. It simply means a fulfilled or blessed life. Here's the divine response to the person who dwells and lives in intimacy with the Lord. Do you know God's presence? Are you living on high? Do you know God's power? I will answer him. Do you know God's protection? I will deliver him. Do you know God's provision? I will satisfy him. That, my friends, is what it means to dwell in the secret place of God. If you've got sin in your life, confess it and forsake it and get right. Get into that secret place where you can be in his presence. Father God, I thank you for this psalm that you've given to us and the fact that, Lord, we will be triumphant against spiritual warfare. That, Father, no matter what the devil and his minions throw at us, Lord, when we are in your secret place, when we're in intimate fellowship with you, none of these things, none of these terrors, none of these pestilences, Lord, none of these arrows, not that serpent, not that lion, can devour us, injure us, or destroy us. You will guide us and guard us safely through. While we may certainly experience suffering, While we may certainly be afflicted, when we're in your presence, we know that you have a plan and a purpose for it like you did for Job, and you will bring us through to that day of perfection. Thank you, Lord, that while spiritual warfare does come upon us, it often comes upon us for our good. When you allow those hurtful things to come into our lives, you do it to strengthen us, and you'll help us to bear it. Amen.